Let's turn next in our Bibles to Exodus chapters 19 and 20. We'll read just a few verses from chapter 19, and then we'll read the Ten Commandments as they're found uh, in chapter 20. So if your Bibles are open, look at chapter 19, verse 3 to begin with. Uh, I'm going to be returning yet. One interesting thing about verses 1, 2, and 1 and 2. Um, it dates the giving of the law almost to the hour after they came out of Egypt. Uh, it says three months to the day um, when God brought His people out of Israel, He recalibrated the calendar. Uh, since the days of creation, up until the Passover, the calendar was one way. And then on uh, the, the night of the Passover, He says, this is your January 1, Nisan. And this is your January 1. And, 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 and so history from that point on for them was based upon redemption. Only mention that because he does the same thing one other time. And that is when Christ was raised from the dead. Uh, he reorientates the calendar. Now it, uh, the focus isn't on the Sabbath day. Now the focus is on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. Alright, so verse 3, chapter 19. And Moses went up to God... And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, 
nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. The Lord Jesus was at one point asked, which is the most important commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? And he responded giving what we call the summary of the law when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In what we call the golden rule, he gave a very practical measure for how we should act and treat others. He says, as you want others to do unto you, do so to them. This is the law and the prophets. Uh, Which I think is interesting because it encapsulates uh, the accountability and the responsibility uh, that we have to do good, to, to love God and to love our neighbor. would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We'll return to Proverbs chapter 8. I mentioned last week that chapter 8 is kind of a unique chapter in the book of Proverbs in that it is Uh, wisdom's autobiography. She tells us who she is. She tells us how she works, what she's done. And we'll continue to do so as we look at these different sections through uh, this eighth chapter. Uh, I think as we approach the end of the chapter, it becomes a um, uh, more remarkable as we go along as uh, wisdom starts speaking about the creation and what role she or he had in this work of redemption. Uh, uh, Quite amazing uh, in that um, she says that I was the master craftsman. I was daily the Father's delight. Uh, The Word would be spoken and then the the worlds, the universe, the stars, the ground, the creation uh, would come into being. Uh, But before we get to there, we will look at this next section Uh, Autobiography of Wisdom, Part 2, and we'll read verses 12 through 21. Hear the Word of God. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. 
I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasuries. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we continue our study of Proverbs chapter 8. This chapter is pretty much a monologue. Uh, Wisdom speaks. Uh, There are some instructions. There are some commands. We heard them last week. Listen, learn, she says to men and, uh, and, and those who are fools. She is speaking mostly about herself and in doing so providing reasons why the sons of men, we ourselves, should listen and give heed to her words. Last week, verses 1 through 11, like I mentioned that we hear wisdom's MO, her modus operandi, her, her mode of operation. What does she do? Well, she teaches, she calls, not in secret, but in, uh, in the places where people are, that they might learn and, and hear and heed. She says, come, listen and learn. And one of the more interesting things that I realized as I was teaching is that when it says she calls out to the fools, to those who are simple-minded, that's in a way what we all are or were, right? And, and what we need is to become wise. We need, as your parents say, we need to smarten up. You know, don't be so careless. And, and, and so wisdom chides and encourages uh, not that we would remain the same but so that we would learn so that we would uh, come to understand um, that what she says is what we need to hear in fact when we when our kids were home and we would have our usually our evening meals together or Sunday noon uh, I would quite frequently turn to um, the book of Proverbs Maybe silly, but there's 31 chapters, and in the calendar, often 31 days. So whatever the day of the month, that's how I would de- decide which chapter uh, we would be reading at, at that particular time. Um, and of course, wisdom is designed to be made known, to be teaching us what we need to hear. And uh, one of the proverbs that we used to tease our kids with is... Um, uh, a fool is regarded as wise when? When they keep their mouth shut, right? So stop talking so much. Learn and, and listen what you're being told. Being wise, and really the, kind of an, an additional definition of wisdom I ran across this week in one of the commentators. Uh, wisdom is recognizing the consequences of our actions. And, and that's kind of an intriguing thought to me. Why should you do something? Why should you not do something? Well, because of the effect and the consequence that that such actions will have, either for good or for ill. And so being wise is really becoming convinced. It's being confident that God's perspective, His laws and instructions, His teachings, are the best possible way to live. And... I don't know that I can say that enough. Uh, Is there a better way to live than the way God says? Isn't that at the heart of the question? When people stop going to church? When people decide to live in a way that's contrary? 
They think that God's way is not the best way. Or at least it's not the only way. But I, I would just... It's, it's worthy of pause. That, you know, is it Psalm 40... No, Psalm 34. Um, the psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, taste and see. Try it. You'll like it. Certainly as a young person being raised up in the context of the church. Be, before you decide to say, Ah... Who we with the church? I want to go do my thing. I want to go do what I want. That's worth a pause. Because whoever you listen to had better be providing you with, with good information. Wisdom is committing oneself to doing what is right when we're faced with temptations either to do wrong or not to do right. Right. Sins of omission, the things that you fail to do. Think of the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Anybody do that? We fall short of that. And so, <laughs> no one should think higher of themselves than they ought. Because we all fail at such a fundamental and basic uh, Part of our relationship to God. So wisdom is doing what's right when tempted to do wrong, and it's it's not doing those things that wisdom forbids. Um, just one further note in my introduction. Somebody asked me last week why is wisdom described as feminine? Verses two and three, a few different places. Wisdom is described. She takes her stand at the top of the high hill. By the way of the path, she cries out by the gates at the entry to the city. Well, I'm pretty sure this is just a literary device used by the author of Proverbs to convey wisdom proper. And then we can ask the question, well, who is wisdom proper? Well, it becomes pretty clear. Wisdom proper is uh, the pre-incarnate Christ is the one who embodies wisdom. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the wisdom of God is describing Christ. Uh, in, in the same way, um, uh, the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not saying it has to be one or the other, but, but certainly it embodies uh, the character and the nature of God uh, in, in that which is revealed and that which is spoken. And so it is that... Uh, uh, this isn't feminism creeping in. It's just the way that the... the uh, the author of Scripture, inspired by the Spirit, would convey these things. Well, we will look at these verses today under this theme. Wisdom continues revealing herself and her inmost character that we might learn about her, that we might not forget what she says, but rather remember them and do them. We'll look first at wisdom's impeccable character. Secondly, at the practical usefulness of wisdom. And then thirdly, wisdom's blessed reward. Notice verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. It's kind of a three different words are describing the character and the nature of wisdom. I dwell with prudence. And I'm not sure if... I think wisdom should be capitalized there. 
because it's not referring to wisdom in general, but it's referring to wisdom as the embodiment of wisdom, uh, the, the character. And this would go back to um, the first couple of verses as well. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Um, God declares the end from the beginning. Right? Uh, Isaiah 46, verse 10 says that. Uh, I am God, there is no other. I declare the end from the beginning and the things that are not as though they were. And no one can hinder, no one can stay my hand. Alright, well, wisdom is recognized, recognizing the consequence of one's actions. Prudence, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Prudence knows to pick the right way. Uh, if you would think about this after the fall, did God have to decide to redeem His people? Any people? The answer is no. He didn't have to. He did not have to. But when He did decide to save His people, how He determined to do so is an act of prudence, right? He, he says, well, I'll, I will be just and I'll be the justifier of my people by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So does God still punish our sins? Do we still endure the death that we deserve? Do our sins receive the death penalty? Yes, they do. But those sins are born and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. His, the course of action that He chose is a most prudent course. And the word knowledge and discretion, those are both the way things are best done. And the interesting thing, grammatically, if you look down to verse 14, it's a twin verse. Uh, in fact, you look at the, um, uh, at that in the original language, and, and there's a repetition of the almost exactly the same sentence structure. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight and strength. Uh, it's not as clear... Um, I think the, actually the New King James has it, I think, a, a more consistent. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. So wisdom and understanding parallel each other. And then these affirmations about what does wisdom have? Prudence, knowledge, and discretion. What does understanding have? Counsel, sound wisdom, and strength. And so it is that these, these three repetitions are all endeavoring to describe how do we understand wisdom? Who is she? What, what, how does she work? How does her heart beat? Well, these are all self-descriptions and self-revelations from God. Um, in fact, verses 12 and 14 describe what wisdom is. In the verse in the middle, verse 13, what wisdom is is not. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride and arrogance and the evil way. So, wisdom is very distinguishing in what she affirms and what she denies. And of course, it is these things that, uh, that reveal wisdom is good, right, and pure. And, and by definition, what she is, 
is really the, 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 the character of God who created all things. I think sometimes we think less of sin. It's not, oh, everybody's sinful, you know, I'm just not as bad as other people. That's a very poor theology. Listen to what God thinks about sin. Verses, this is Psalm 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Two Psalms later, number 7. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. So we should not think wisdom would be any less so than that. What is our only hope? What is your only comfort? That God in His grace would provide salvation. Our second point, wisdom's practical usefulness. Uh, Look here at verses 15 and 16. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. We need to distinguish. This This isn't talking about all rulers and prime ministers and presidents. But it is talking about those who rule well. Uh, there's a proverb that says, um, um, when the wicked rule, the people go into hiding. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. There, there is fullness. There is satisfaction. And so this list, kings, rulers, princes, nobles, they receive counsel. They know what is right and true and good for how they should act and rule by virtue of the Scriptures themselves. Uh, one interesting thing, I don't know if you how familiar you are with the book of Deuteronomy, that was written before the children of Israel entered the Promised Land, before Joshua and Judges, right? Well, in chapter 18, God reveals to Moses the rules that apply to kings, what they ought to do. And one of the things they ought to do, they ought to make a copy of the law in their own hand. They copy over, transcribe a a book of the law so that they would know what God's will is. And more than that, uh, there were certain things they were not supposed to do. They were not supposed to accumulate wealth and wives and horses and and, and earthly material things. Why? Because that would distract them from their work and their responsibilities. Look at 17, verse 17. I love those who love me. Wisdom loves those who love her. What's the question? Do we love wisdom? Do we love wisdom enough to change? Enough to follow? Enough to hear and heed? I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. 
Proverbs chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever comes to Him, to God, must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, this is kind of like the, the Ephesians chapter 6 of the armor of God. Therefore, put on the armor of God so that you may stand in the evil day. What if you don't put on the armor of God? Will you have what you need to stand on the evil day? It's kind of the same idea in Hebrews chapter 11. Those who seek the Lord diligently will find Him. That He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I think that the realization of wisdom's benefit is probably one of the greatest weaknesses of, of many Christians. I mean, lots of people don't even know the Psalms very well or don't sing the Psalms. And uh, the book right after that is the book of Proverbs. And it, it is the means that God has given to instill within us as the body of Christ, with the people of God, what we need to know. Uh, is, is life going to have troubles and trials in it? Absolutely. How are we going to get through those troubles and trials? Well, by fully relying upon uh, the Word and the truth that God has revealed. Our, our third point is the wisdom's blessed reward. And, and, and it's interesting Wisdom uses words that could be misunderstood. Alright? Look at um, verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. Sounds like, hey, you'd be a good Christian, you're going to have a fat bank account. Alright. Is that what it says? not what it says. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than silver. Will God bless and provide for His people? Absolutely. And one of the chief downfalls that we read in the, in the history of the Old Testament is that when people, uh, when God blessed them materially and they, and they uh, had an abundance of, of, of worldly prosperity, that was when they forgot God. That, and that was really the main warning of Scripture. When you have all of these things, beware. Be careful that you don't turn your affection and your love toward material things instead of the primary thing, which is God Himself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I think what He does, and I think this is, this is my reading of this section of uh, Proverbs chapter 8, is that we're not, as a, according to our human nature, we're not ready 
often, many of us are not ready for great success. And in fact, in First Timothy chapter six, some pretty strong words. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, what what you have, fitnah, contentment, great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. Or the love of money. Is money the problem? No. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. However, when our greatest love is the Lord. We are enabled to look at possessions in the proper perspective. We are then able to avoid the allure. But we walk with caution, right? We humble ourselves before the Lord. So in effect, the object of our heart's desire now and forever into the future has to be the Lord Himself. The grace that comes to us in and through the Gospel. And so, the principal point is priority. Uh, By comparison, the greatest value should not be placed on things, wealth and riches, but on the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Look at the last two verses of our text. Um, Verses 19 and 24, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. We need to walk. We need to live with our hearts, our minds firmly set on the goodness, on the grace of God. Wisdom provides all that we need. And in in the Scriptures, is there a, a place for those who have wealth? Surely. Uh... I don't know if this will be an illustration. If you read 1 Peter chapter 4, it says those who have suffered, those who have been persecuted, cease from sin. What? Cease from sin? Well, that's what it says. And, and I believe what it means is those who have suffered, those who have been afflicted, those who have gone through dark trials, forever see sin in its proper perspective. They 
are not subject to it uh, as they were before. Uh, We might refer to that as the sanctifying power of the grace of God in the Gospel. We become what we were not. And and as we grow, as we mature as believers, um, we, 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 we love the things that God loves. Why are you in church? Well, because I love going to church and worshiping God. Is the right answer. And more and more, we should hate the things that God hates. Does God hate certain things? Surely. And so should we. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about that verse uh, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way. If that's what, the, if that's what wisdom does, don't you suppose that's what we should do? We should hate we should hate arrogance. We, uh, in fact, uh, look back to chapter 6, verses 17 and following. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. What does God hate? What's abominable to Him? If you had to guess without looking, you'd probably say, oh, things like homosexuality, uh, the LGP. But what does it say? What does the Lord hate? A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies, one who sows discord among brethren. And as I I preached a series of sermons on each of those sins, it's good to know what God hates, but what you don't immediately see is that the opposite of those things, a proud look, haughty eyes, He wants you to look with compassion. He wants you to look with kindness sometimes. Um, a lying tongue. God hates. What does God want to hear on your tongue? The words of truth. What is right and good. Hands that shed innocent blood. Think of abortion. God hates it. Without question. What does God love? Hands that help and heal and restore and strengthen heart that devises wicked plans, plotting evil on your bed. We were just reading, I think it was Hosea or one of those Old Testament prophets. It says, that was one of the things he accused the Israelites of. You lie on your bed plotting evil, and in the morning you get up and do it. God hates that. That's what God hates. What does He love? Using your intellect, using your natural ability to help, to serve. Let's think big to improve humanity. Invent something that's truly uh, useful and helpful. And so forth. More and more. Seek those things which are pleasing in God's sight. You know, when we're not feeling well, these days, the COVID. We take our temperature, right? We, we monitor those different signs. Well, I think that passages like this help us to do the same thing. Kind of, kind of a spiritual checkbook. Where's our heart? How committed are we to the church and kingdom of God? And of course, if we see wants, 
aspects of ourselves that, that need refinement and improvement. Don't wink at them. Don't pretend they're not there. We, we, we need to face them head on. And, and if we need help, then we need to ask for help from our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because that's what God has given to us as a need. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are wisdom, that you have revealed wisdom to us as your people. Oh Lord, might we have wise and discerning minds. Might we have hearts and hands that are committed to service and to doing those things that are right and well-pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, our hope and our prayer is that not only would your grace be sufficient for us, but we pray uh, for the ever-enlarged uh, kingdom of our God and Savior from sea to sea, from shore to shore. Might Your name be praised. Might You be exalted on the lips and the prayers and the petitions of Your people. All this we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.